last Sunday of a, in the Be Last uh, series that we've got. And I don't know about you, but I have really enjoyed this. Uh, I had a brother ask me the other day who's been here for like two or three of them, and he said they are, they're all online if you want to go back and, and listen to them. But, you know, last Sunday, this is a continuation today of what last Sunday was. And last Sunday was about humble love, about how Jesus has demonstrated that humble love toward us. And remember what Jesus did when he, when he actually had the first Lord's Supper, before he did that, he went and he washed the disciples' feet. And you know, and we're talking about this is God. This is God in the flesh, and he's come down and he's, he's humbled himself. And you know, I don't know about you, but you may not have ever had anybody physically wash your feet for you before. But you know, you might have had somebody serve you and take care of you when you were sick and when you were down, when you were out. You, whenever you might have been through a surgery or through a, a tough time, you've had somebody that was there for you. And listen, that, that's foot washing. That's serving. That's meeting someone else's needs. And today, you know, I told you last week, we've, Jesus humbled himself by getting down to do the lowest of lowest roles was to do the foot washing of people that were in a room. And I told you we're going to go even lower of what Jesus did by being last. And how could you go any lower than foot washing? How can you go any lower than that? And we're going to see exactly how that took place in today's text. If you, this, is, this text was written by a guy named Saul who was converted on a road to Damascus and his life was changed, radically changed. Changed so much that it changed his name to Paul. And Paul classified himself in he put himself in a category and said he was the least of the apostles. He wasn't even worthy to be called an apostle. But he said he was the chief, the head honcho, so to speak, when it came to being a sinner. In other words, Paul felt like he had the corner on the market of being a sinner. He was, he was the baddest of the bads. He was the worst of the worst. That was Paul. And so Paul has actually written this text for us today, and he's telling us how we should be and how we should respond to this humble love of God. Pick up with me here in Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 3. He says, Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. That's a good starting point. In other words, Put other people's needs right up there, ahead of yours, ahead of yours, ahead of mine. Put other people's needs above yours. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, which we do, but he said this, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude, verse 5, in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. But look what Jesus did in verse 7. He emptied himself, giving, uh, taking the form of a bondservant, a slave, and being made in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even 
death on a cross. And we're going to stop right there in the text in, in Philippians today. Bruce Shelley had this quote. And this quote is simply this. He said, Christianity is the only major religion to have as, as its central event the humiliation of its God. Of all the religions that are in the world, Christianity is the only religion to have as its major central event the humiliation of its God. That's a powerful quote. It's a, it's a, it's a meaningful thing for us to know, but... You know, when you think about humble love, and you think about what Jesus did, it's one thing to, to humble oneself and to wash someone's feet, but it's, do you know the lowest and the lowest of things was for God to become man. He became man. He walked upon this earth. He lived a perfect life. Perfect life. None of us in this room are perfect. That's why we have church. Amen? That's why we have church. Amen? Amen. None of us are perfect. And by the way, if you're looking for a perfect church, go on down the road. Go on down the road because you ain't going to find it, are you? We're not perfect. But I, I love the bumper sticker that says, I'm not perfect. I'm just forgiven. Amen. That's me. I'm not perfect. I'm just forgiven. But a lot of us have problems with humility. If you woke up this morning and you looked in the mirror and said, man, that is a good looking person in that mirror. Now, if you did that, you got a problem with humility, okay? You know, if you, walk, if you can't walk by a mirror without doing this or flexing or doing that, you know, you might have a humility issue going on. How do I know? I've been there. I've done that. You know, now I go by and I go, good Lord, there's some work that needs to be done right now. I used to look and I'd smile. Now I look and I go, oh me. You know, there's a big difference between the two. But... Whatever it is, you know, like the old boy used to sing, Lord, it's hard to be humble when you're perfect in every way. Each time I look in the mirror, I get better looking each day. To know me is to love me. I must be one hell of a man, but, oh, Lord, it's hard to be humble. But I'm doing the what? Y'all know that song, don't you? I'm doing the best that I can. Well, Jesus is the ultimate and the supreme example of what humble love is all about. It's one thing to, to be, for God to become man, to empty himself. In other words, he put aside his privileges for a while. Jesus never stopped being God. He never stopped being God. But he laid aside those privileges to take on the appearance as a man. He walked this earth. He... He lived a life. He was a baby at one point. We have little Briley Lucas back there. We have him here today for the first time. But listen, Jesus was a baby at one point. And yes, he was changed and he grew up and he was raised in a carpenter's shop. A carpenter's shop. And he knew he wasn't in a rich family. In fact, his family was so poor that they... When he went to dedicate him, they had to do the turtle doves instead of a lamb, which was reserved for the poor people. So he, he was in humble means. Man, he was born in a, in a cave. He was put in a, a feed trough. You would have thought that the king of the, that created everything, the king of the universe, the God who made everything, would have come down here, been put in a palace, would have been given the best, would have been put in the best schools, definitely wouldn't have been raised poorly. 
But listen, Jesus went through all of that. And so he watched things. He looked. And when he saw his disciples arguing about who was the greatest, you know what he did? He went over and grabbed a little kid. said, come here. I'll show you who's greatest. Unless you become like one of these, you won't enter into the kingdom of God. Oh, he, he took the example of a child. You've got to humble yourself. You've got to have that kind of faith, that childlike faith, is what he said. And so humble love just keeps going further down. And that humble love, as we saw last week, got down and actually washed those feet and dried them off with the towel. But listen, that humble love continued because he suffered to the point of death. And when it says even death on a cross. On a cross. What does that cross mean to you when you see it? People wear crosses. People have crosses. Man, did anybody see on Facebook that storm that blew through and it took off the top of a pole and it left a cross right over the road? Did anybody see that on Facebook this week? I did. I was like, yeah, that, that was pretty cool. But there it was, wasn't it? But I kept thinking, what, but what does that mean? What does that mean? What does that cross really mean? Do you know the Persians were the ones who started crucifixion? And then the Romans adopted it. And the Romans perfected it. What did it mean that Jesus endured, went to the cross? Even to the point of death, death even on a cross. Let me tell you about crucifixion. It was torture. It was slow. It was a helpless feeling. It was done publicly. Publicly. Jesus was placed there publicly on a cross. Naked, stripped. But prior to getting to that cross, there's another text that I want to share with you this morning. It's in Matthew. It's in Matthew 27. You can go there later, but let me just give you the highlights of what was going on that day that Jesus went to the cross. He was arrested. They had false charges against him. Had nothing on him, but the Jews, the, the religious people could not stand him because he made himself out to be God. And so they brought him in. They had him tried. He was brought before a guy by the name of Pilate who was governor of the area. Pilate examined him. He said, hey, I don't, I don't find anything against this man. No charges. Couldn't find anything against him. Well, the Jews were saying, well, but he claims to be God. I was like, well, what does that have to do with me? That doesn't have anything to do with my jurisdiction. I, Pilate could not find anything wrong. But the Jews kept persisting. And then Pilate's wife said, listen, she came to her husband. And she said, I had a dream. I had a dream about this righteous man. And she dreamt, you better not, you better not do anything against him. And, and she went, and she, like a good wife, she told her husband this dream, don't have anything to do with him. Don't, he's a righteous man. Don't harm him. So Pilate once again came back, and Pilate found out in one of the other Gospels that is quoted that, that he found out where he was from. So Herod, who was the king of that area, happened to be in town in Jerusalem at that point. 
So he sent Jesus over to be kind of examined by King Herod. And Herod had always wanted to meet Jesus. He'd heard he was a miracle worker. He'd never met him. He knew there were great things about him. He, he'd done amazing things. And so Herod went to examine him. Started asking him all kinds of questions. And guess what? Jesus never responded to one thing that Herod had to say. But Herod did this. He took a gorgeous robe, put it on Jesus, and sent him back to Pilate. And those two had been enemies, but that day they became friends because of what Herod did, kind of mocking this king called Jesus. So he goes back to Pilate, and Pilate's sitting there examining him, and, and everything's going back and forth. And once again, Pilate says, I don't have anything on him. I don't have anything to convict him. Unless just, I'm going to have him beaten, and then we'll release him. We'll just release him. But guess what? Some of the people said, no. 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 We don't want him released. And so it comes down to this. Pilate looked, and he said, well, it was at Passover, which, if, is that, isn't that kind of amazing to know that the whole Passover system and everything in the Old Testament was coming to life right here in this event. But it was at Passover, and Pilate said to the people, well, it is our custom to release one prisoner to you at this time. And who do you want me to release? And there was a guy there by the name of Barabbas. Barabbas was one who was against Rome. He didn't like the Romans. In fact, he was plotting to try to cause an insurrection among them and, and he was a murderer. This guy had killed people. And so, I mean, it's obvious. Barabbas is, is a bad dude. Barabbas is guilty. Barabbas deserves the cross. Barabbas, the cross is meant for Barabbas. Man, he is guilty. He's busted. And that's where he should go. Remember, the crucifixion is a bad thing. Slow death, painful death. But Barabbas was intended. Over here, Jesus, innocent. So when you weigh between the two and, and Pilate, knowing that they had kind of given Jesus up, Pilate said, well, which one of these two? It's an obvious choice to Pilate. Which one of these two should be set free? And when the crowd started shouting, give us, Barabbas, he was thinking, what? No, this isn't right. Are you sure? What has this man done, Jesus? What has he done wrong? Nothing. But the crowd kept saying, no, give us Jesus. They said, well, what do you want me to do with him? And guess what they began to shout about Jesus? Crucify him. Crucify him. Crucify him. Is what they shouted. That's what went down, y'all, on that day. We look at that and we go, that's not fair. That's just not right. That just isn't fair. But you don't listen. 
the more that I've thought about the story, I've thought about this. I, I am just like Barabbas. Can you only imagine Barabbas when, when he heard the crowd begin to shout toward Jesus that they're going to crucify him? He's, he's sitting here going, well, this has kind of changed my day. And then all of a sudden he's here and he thought they would have been shouting his name, but they're shouting Jesus' name, crucify him. And then Pilate looks at you, and if you're Barabbas, and he goes, well, guess what? He's sitting there thinking, I know Pilate's sitting there thinking, I don't want to have to do this, but I'm going to have to do it. And he sets, he says, Barabbas, you're free to go. We don't know what Barabbas did after that. We don't, the Bible doesn't tell us anything other than Barabbas was set free. Now let me ask you something. Can you identify with Barabbas in the room? Anybody in here identify? I was guilty and just like Barabbas, I've been set free. I've been set free. Do you know the Bible says that the payment, the wages of sin is death? But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Well, Pilate sets him free. And then he goes and he, he had Jesus scourged, which meant Jesus actually was stripped. And they took this whip that had these strings to it, and it had balls on it. And at the end, it would have some type of metal material. And they took that whip, and they came, and they strapped Jesus to a pole, and they lashed out at his back and his body to where the flesh was ripped. And the shock that came from all of that. And the bruisings. And it's, listen, if anybody in this room needs healing. If anybody in this room needs to know about pain that's been afflicted. The Bible says it's by his stripes that we are healed. And he was pierced and he was wounded for our sins. But they whip Jesus, and he, he, he go, the body goes in shock, and he's actually put and stripped and beat and whipped. And the Bible says that they did it at least up to 39 times. They were not allowed to go beyond 40, but 39 blows. And the scripture even says he, he was beaten so bad that when they said, Behold the man, he didn't even hardly, wasn't hardly recognized as a man but not only that they took him after they beat him brought him back into the court where the Roman soldiers were they put a robe on him and then they put a crown of thorns and made a crown of thorns and pushed it into his head and the blood continues to flow the blood's coming all out of his body and all of this is taking place and they begin to mock him some spat at him and others took their hands and slapped him because they blindfolded him and said prophesy to us who hit you if you are a king and all of this took place in that setting folks we're talking about this is God this is God we're talking about if anybody any of us saw this going on we would be going this isn't fair this isn't right. But this is humble love at its greatest. 
And they continued that. And then finally they said, all right, send him off. And so he, he went out and he, he had to take, they said that the beam, you know, most, people, most movies portray an actual cross, but probably what it was was a beam that he carried. Because those beams weighed between around 100 to 125 pounds is one beam. And so there would be one pole, three poles out there on that outside on Golgotha the hill. But Jesus was carrying that beam through the streets. Can you imagine how exhausted his body was from the beating and everything that had taken place that he got to the point that he couldn't even carry it anymore? There was a guy by the name of Simon from... Serene that was passing through. And they called him and said, Hey, you, you carry his cross. Jesus was so weak that from that point on, Simon picked it up and he carried it out, outside of the city of Jerusalem. And about that time, it was nine o'clock in the morning, at the third hour of the day, and Jesus was taken and placed on the cross. And they put nails between his, his hands, and they nailed his feet. And he was lifted up outside of Jerusalem. Outside of Jerusalem. Publicly lifted up out there. Two thieves, one on this side, one on that side, and here's Jesus hanging between them. And the, the event continues. People began to look up and, and they would say, huh, if he's the son of God, let him come down from that cross and we'll believe. Others began to mock him. Truly, he said he would destroy the temple in three days. If the temple was destroyed, three days if it was destroyed, I'll raise it up. That's what was said. Huh. But you know what began to happen on that cross that day? He was publicly humiliated. But he began to say only a few things on that cross that day. And one of the most important things that he said was he said these words, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. That, that is humble love to the greatest extent. How, how much does God love you and me? The Father loves us so much that he sent his Son. And it says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. So what does that cross mean to you? I know what that cross meant for Jesus, because he was humbled to the point of death, even death on a cross. Folks, that's as low as it goes. It was reserved for the lowest of the low. And You know, I've got to ask myself the question, because it comes back to this. 
There's a verse in Deuteronomy chapter 21, verse 23, it says, Cursed is anyone who hangs on a tree. But in Galatians chapter 3, verse 13, it said, Christ Jesus redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, it cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. And so what did Jesus do? He did what only he could do by being the perfect lamb of God. He who knew no sin took on the curse, took it on, the curse of sin. And it was applied to his life. Why did he do that? To redeem you. Do you know what that word redeem means? I, I know you, you ladies that's gone shopping knows what it means. But some of you men, do you know what it means? To be redeemed it means to be purchased, to be bought back, to be, to be brought in. In other words, it belonged to someone else. Now I've redeemed it, and it belongs to me. That's what Jesus did on the cross for you that day. He has purchased you. And you know how I know he's purchased you? He purchased you with his blood. You know what Pilate said? Pilate said before he sent him off, he said, I wash my hands. I wash my hands of this man's innocent blood. And the people cried out, the Jewish leaders cried out, let his blood be on us. You know what that word curse means? The curse, curse meaning of the word here is divine vengeance. It is, it is under, it's living under God's curse. And it means the wrath of God. So listen, y'all. The cross is so important because Jesus took on being cursed on our behalf humiliated on our behalf. Why? So that we could be redeemed. So that we could be purchased. So that we could be bought and paid for with the blood of his very own life. You know, the hardest thing that had to be for God the Father that day was that moment when, when he saw his son who knew no sin to become sin on our behalf. And you know how I know that moment happened? Because Jesus said these words. He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That was the moment that the father, <laughs> he had to turn his back on his son. I have three boys. I have three sons. And I would never want to have to turn my back on any one of them. But this was the Son of God. And God the Father, because of his love for you and me, had to turn his back when his Son needed him the most because he who knew no sin had become sin. It was my sin. It was your sin that had placed him on that cross. And that's why Jesus said, why are you forsaking me, Father? He became sin in that moment. And so listen, there's two sides to this cross. There's this side, which that guy never did get it right. And then there's this side where that guy did. And he said to Jesus, would you remember me today? I recognize that you're God. 
Listen, folks, the cross is so important. The humble love of God is so important because if you're on this side of the cross, you're still under the curse. You're still under sin. But if you, have, if you respond to the love of God and the grace of God and receive what Jesus did on the cross in your behalf, then you get to be on this side. And there is no curse going to be applied. The wrath of God will come down on sin. And the wrath of God came down on Jesus that day for you and for me. The question is, have you applied the blood to your life? Let's pray. Father, thank you for the cross. Thank you for the cross. For it wasn't just the blood of a, of a lamb. It was the blood of the lamb of God who has come to take away the sin of the world. Hallelujah. Praise your name. So, Lord, it is at that cross where I can first see the light. It is at that cross to where I was a broken and defeated and down and out and guilty sinner. But you looked down from the cross and you said, Son, I've done it for you. Would you respond to my love? And I go, Oh, yes. <laughs> oh, yes, oh, God. Yes, thank you for what you've done on my behalf. And so, Lord, as we enter into this precious time of remembering what you have done, and this time of communion, Lord, this time of a Lord's Supper, we, remit, we take of this, of this bread and of this juice, and we remember your body which was pierced and wounded and bruised. And we remember your body which was taken and placed on a cross. And we remember your body which rose from a tomb. And we remember that this juice represents your blood which was shed on our behalf. So God, we take of this in remembrance of you. But we also are thinking of the future of rejoicing with you. So I ask you right now, and I pray over everyone in this room that we're about to have a communion that's open for any of you that are believers that have followed Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And I want to invite you to, as you continue to have heads bowed and eyes closed, that as God's Spirit leads you, you make your way up to get this and go back to your spot and have your time of thanking Jesus for what he did for you on the cross. He loves you. He loves you. And there may be someone in this room that your heart is about to beat out of your chest and you don't know what's happening to you. It's God's love drawing you to himself, saying, I want you. Will you respond to my love and surrender your life to me today? At the cross is where I've shown my humble love to you. What else can I do at the cross? So I'm going to invite you to come as your spirit leads you.
to see the pain written on your face bearing the Hallelujah. 
my name upon your heart my shame upon your shoulders the power of sin undone the cross for my salvation the Lamb of God in my place your blood put on my sin was my death you died I am raised to life hallelujah the Lamb of God there is no greater love there is no greater love the Savior lifted up there is no greater love there is no greater love there is no greater Savior lifted up. There is no greater
Christ alone my hope is found he is my light my strength and my song this cornerstone this solid ground firm through the fiercest drought and storm what heights of love what depths of peace when fears are still and striving cease my comforter my all in all here in the love of Christ I stand Church, would you stand in honor of our King this morning? Christ, 
I stand No power of hell No scheme of man Can ever pluck Me from his hand Till he returns Or calls me home Here in the power of Christ I stand Awesome. Just awesome. Isn't God worthy of our praise? Awesome, isn't he? He is so awesome. What he has done for you and me is beyond our understanding. God's love is so great for you that the height nor depth nor any, anything, anything can ever separate you from the love of God. Don't you forget it. Don't you ever forget it. And love wins. Jesus won. And you know, we got an awesome opportunity this week to invite people that need to know these truths. For Jesus changes lives, and he's going to continue to change them as he comes. I want you to be seated as I close out today. We're about to take our offering up here in just a moment, but... For those of you that might be here for the first time today, we are honored you're with us. We ask that if you would just be so kind to fill out our Connect card that you received with your information. And so if you have any prayer.